with me to the book of Ezra, chapter 8. Ezra, chapter 8, as we continue this series of expositions through this historical letter, this historical record of the people of God. Specifically, we have been looking at how God is renewing His people. This is a spiritual renewal of the people of God. Something that I'm truly convinced is necessary for us today. Something that I believe each and every one of us should be praying about. If you, in your heart today, or this past week, let me just do kind of a little test with you. This past week, do you know that your heart and your mind has been centeredly focused upon the centrality and the supremacy of God? You see, the answer to that question, without me hearing you respond, or you hearing me respond, is the reason I say that each and every one of us should be praying for spiritual renewal. Because that is the apex of what it is to be a redeemed human being. To experience the ultimate satisfaction and joy in an eternal peaceful relationship with God through Christ that then begins to center our entire lives, our thinking, our attitudes, and our actions upon God. And so it is, it is necessary for us to pray this prayer. Because even on our best day, we're tempted and prone to wander and to stray from that central focus. On our best day, and I would dare say that many of us live day after day after day, very seldom driven, very seldom guided, very seldom able to make that claim at the end of the day. That today was predominantly my mind and my affections were dominated by a love and a centrality of God. To live to see His glory displayed in my life and through my life. In my family and through my family. In my church and through my church. So... That kind of gives us, I hope, the basis for why this is important. (laughs) So you're probably there. Ezra chapter 8. We're going to look today under the heading of the principles of godly living. I see in this story, this part of the story, five principles that I want to share with you this morning for godly living. But I want to remind you that really, as we look at this historical narrative, 
This is still the continuation of God working sovereignly, powerfully, faithfully, lovingly to renew His people. To renew His people back to their homeland, Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple, to reestablish biblical, scriptural worship there in Jerusalem. So this is a work of God, but in the midst of the work of God... You have the people of God who are called to work alongside, as it were, to work with this God in this renewal process. And as we look at it from mainly that perspective this morning, we will see, I hope, principles of godly living. Instead of reading this entire chapter, I want to point to the various sections as we come to them Uh, in the principles, and we'll read sections of those together. So I think the best thing to do now is just to pray together before we go on. So let's, let's do that. Oh God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. In our hearts this morning. In this place. We want your will to be done. We want your kingdom to come into every heart. Namely that every heart in this room. Will bow the knee of their heart to you as Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess. And I pray that none. In this room today. We'll wait. One day more. And certainly will not wait until they see you face to face. And are forced. By the eclipse of your glory. To bow. And to cry in confession. That you are God. That you are. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Feed us, O God, with the provisions that we need. But maybe even more importantly this morning, feed us from your word. Let your word be true food for our souls. Forgive us, God, of our debts, our trespasses, our sins, our iniquities. Even as we forgive others. Lord if there's anyone here this morning. Who has unforgiveness in their heart. It is the time. Now is the time. To let that go. To lay that malice and that anger. At the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. To understand the work of the cross. And it's all sufficient power. To cleanse and to heal and to save to the uttermost those who will come by faith through him to God. And and we pray that we would have pure, clean hearts. That we also may be forgiven. Lead us not into temptation today. But deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. 
the devil and demon spirits, Satan, our great adversary. Deliver us from his subtle schemes. Demon spirits that war against our souls. Deliver us, O God, from the nature of sin, the impulses of the flesh, and the world around us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Clothe us in humility and the armor that you've instructed us to put on. That we may be able to stand in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation of people. Of whom we were all once among. That we may be as shining lights. For it is your kingdom and your power and your glory that we seek and that we desire. And Lord, that we want to promote. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've witnessed through this book how that God has graciously moved in power to restore his people. And to renew his own worship in Jerusalem. We've witnessed as God has graciously provided his everything that they need. Including protection from their enemies. And we watched as God worked through his people to rebuild the temple. To reinstate the sacrifices and the festivals. We watched even last week as God reformed further his people through the clarification of the understanding of his word. That the Bible teaches in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, that the pastor teacher is given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That Sunday morning is a time of equipping. It's a time when the word of God comes to the saint of God and empowered and enlightened or um, illuminated rather by the spirit of God, we are equipped for the work of the ministry. It's exactly what we saw last week from Ezra chapter 7 because Ezra was instructed to go back and he was to teach the people the word of God. Clearly and distinctly so that they would be obedient in its commandments and in its principles. Our story this morning in chapter 8 and verse 1 is just a continuation of last week. We have the going back to Jerusalem of Ezra by, uh, from Babylon. And verse 1 of chapter 8 begins like this. These are the heads of the father's houses. And this is the generation of those who went up with me from Babylonia. In the reign of Artaxerxes the king. And then he lists the father's houses. The names of the father's houses of all the people who went back to Jerusalem with him, with Ezra. And this gives us principle number one. 
The first principle for godly living is the principle of forethought and planning. The principle of forethought and planning. I have emphasized, because the scripture and the story itself has emphasized the sovereign, powerful, covenant-keeping faithfulness of God to renew His people. You remember? God was the one who stirred the pagan king's heart to send the people back to Jerusalem. God did that. God was the one, straight from the story, who stirred some of the people of Israel. Not all of them went back, but some of them did. And it was God, as we notice from the explicit words of the story, it was God who stirred some of the people and gave them a heart, as the Bible said, to return back to Jerusalem and to be a part of this renewal process. It was God who granted them everything that they would need. It was God who protected them on their journey as they returned home. This had been after 70 years. 70 years they were in captivity until God moved. Can you feel that? And so this was a and is a work of God. And yet we recognize and we realize, I can't remember which sermon, you'll have to go back and listen to it on the website. Um, but we emphasize in one of the sermons how that, that the people of God are not called to sit on the sidelines. But God is doing the renewal work. It's His work. And to God be the glory. He gets all the credit. He gets all the glory. He gets all of the praise. They don't get any of it. But yet, they did work in harmony with God to get, the, to get it done. <laughs> you, had to, you had to set the timbers in place. You had to set the blocks in place. Somebody did that. But they only did it through the strength which God supplies. And so what we're doing this morning is we're looking at that in a little bit of an extended view. That when we look at the life of the people of God being renewed in a spiritual way, we see principles for godly living. And the first one is the principle of forethought and planning. Verses 1 to 20. If you look in those verses, it mentions all of those sons, the fathers, the leaders of the houses, and their, their names are mentioned. And then in verse 15, it says, I, this is Ezra, gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava, and there we camped three days. As I reviewed the people and the priest, I found there none of the sons of Levi. Then I sent to Eliezer and these other men, leading men, it says, who were men of insight, telling them what to say to Ido and his brothers and the temple servants, namely to send us ministers for the house of our God. And by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us, I'm in verse 18, 
They brought us a man of discretion to the sons of Mahilah, the son of Levi, son of Israel. And so what we see is that there is a need for there to be priests to carry on the worship of God in the temple. And there is also need for Levites, the, the servants, as it were, of the priests and of the temple. And if we're noticing and if we're recognizing what is going on, we see that Ezra is putting forethought. He's putting planning into place as he sits and thinks, okay, we're going to go back to Jerusalem and we're going to continue these reforms and we're going to need to set in place certain things in order for us to be correctly obedient to the Word of God. We need these people. And I see in that simply a principle for us to glean in our own lives. That although God is the one who is ultimately and decisively in control, you can't live moment by moment making decisions in that world. It's true. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wants. Remember reading that verse together? God is the one ultimately and decisively in charge. But... We are instructed, nevertheless, to think, to think with our minds, to plan, and to give forethought to our lives. He gives a list of the fathers in verses 1 to 14. He gives a list of the temple personnel in verses 15 to 20. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, and you look even at the beginning of the verse, verse 1, the chapter, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And listen to this. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, listen to these uh, analogies. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Second analogy, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Third analogy, it is the hard-working farmer who ought to have first share of the crops. Now listen to what he says, think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. It's exactly a biblical example of what I just was telling you. That God is sovereign, but you still have to think and act and work. Did you see it in the text? He tells him to think, use your mind. And how are you going to get the understanding? By thinking? No. The Lord will give you understanding. 
You think, <laughs> and God will give you understanding. So you take the Word of God, and you think over what I'm saying. You pray, and you seek the face of the Lord. And it is God, the Holy Spirit, who will be your teacher. It is God, the Holy Spirit, who will give you understanding in all things. And so what I'm saying to you this morning, back to Ezra, and the first principle of forethought and planning, is that you and I should stay in God's Word, stay on our faces before God in prayer, and plan and think and uh, and give forethought to our lives and God will give us understanding. God will give us direction and God will give us wisdom to live in a way that's pleasing to Him. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall, what? Direct your paths. Same thing. Trust in the Lord. Lean not into your own understanding, but you're living You're making decisions. So many people are stifled because you think in some kind of a mystical fashion that you're going to find the will of God. (laughs) Listen, you don't find the will of God because, uh, you know, a cat runs in front of your car when you're listening to a certain song on the radio and you look down at your watch and it was a certain time and you say, well, all this must mean that this is what I need to do for my life. Wow, I just got my answer. That's not the way to discover the will of God. The will of God finds you as you live out obedience to God's Word. The way that you want, if you want to live for the glory of God, you say, I want to live and fulfill the will of God for my life. Then you you stay immersed in the Word of God and in prayer, and you obey what God says in His Word, and I guarantee you, you will live the will of God. The will of God is not a mystical thing that is dropped down upon you from a cloud in the sky that kind of looks like an angel. (laughs) Or, you know, a... uh, uh, a, a, a cold shiver that runs across your spine when you see that one. You know, you're thinking about marriage in the future or, or, or a job and you see the billboard and it has the workplace or you see the uh, person there and, and you get this chill that comes over your body. That must be God. No. Don't think that way. Don't live that way. Give forethought using the Scriptures. Look at the Word of God and plan to be obedient and God will direct your paths. That's number one. Spent too much time on that. Number two, the principle of unity and cooperation. I see that in the same verses, verses 1 to 20. Because what Ezra is essentially doing is pointing out the fact that we need people. there's a work to be done. We need cooperation and there must be unity. Unity of purpose in the renewal of God's people. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 2, we find a New Testament example of this same principle of unity and cooperation. Listen to what Paul says as he writes to the church at Philippi. Philippians 2, 2. Complete my joy. 
How? Being by being of the same mind, having the same love. And here it is being in full accord and of one mind. Another one, in other words, one in purpose. The church is never stronger than when we are unified and cooperating for the purpose of glorifying God. Number three. The third principle is the principle of fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer. Verses 21 to 23. If you look in verse 21 of Ezra 8. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava. That we might humble ourselves before our God. To seek from Him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we had told the king, (laughs) the hand of our God is for good on all who seek Him. And the power of His wrath is against all who forsake Him. So we fasted and implored our God for this. And isn't this wonderful? And he listened to our prayer, our entreaty. So here we have a principle of life for godliness, fasting and prayer. How many of you have fasted and prayed this week? You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you have fasted and prayed this month? How many of you have fasted in prayer? This year. How many of you have fasted and prayed. Ever. There is a principle in God's word. When the people of God have a heart. That comes from God. You don't just create this. But when you have a burden on your soul. That you would draw nigh to God. Draw near to him. To have a spiritual renewal in your life. Or for something that is extremely important in you, in your life, in your heart. To you, this is a time in the scriptures where the people of God customarily fasted and prayed. And today it's almost completely forgotten. This was a request for protection and assistance for their journey. It's kind of comical in a way because he says that I made this great boast to the king, you know. And he said, you know, in a way, it must have came to his heart. I'd kind of like to ask for an escort, you know. It's like 500 mile journey back to Jerusalem. But he said, I couldn't ask him <laughs> for Uh, for some soldiers to protect us along the way because I'd already made my boast that God's hand is for good and protects those who love and serve Him and is against all those who forsake Him. (laughs) So we fasted (laughs) and we prayed. It was a dangerous travel. They had valuables and they had their little children with them. And I thought, and thinking about this principle, Faith is an adventure. <laughs> Faith is an adventure. You get up every day and you live for the glory of God in submission to His Word. Now, if you if you have some kind of a, a nominal notion of Christianity, you know, or you just, you come to church, you pray, and, you know, you do some 
some Christian things, that, that you're not going to understand what I'm saying. But if you really are living, to, seeking to live your life with a central orientation upon God and His glory among the nations, beginning in your life where you are, in your sphere of influence, and you're really desiring to commune and to walk and to obey God, faith is an adventure. <laughs> it is full of dangers and toils and snares. It is full of temptations and trials. And so we need fasting to be back, brought back into our life, into the life of the church. <laughs> I thought we do have great claims as children of God, do we not? Ezra says, God's hand is for good on all those who fear Him and obey. And what do we say? Well, think about it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the most wonderful message in the world. And it also makes the most profound claims. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news that begins with the bad news. <laughs> that all people everywhere are sinners. That every single human being on the face of the planet that has ever lived other than Christ himself has fallen into sin and disobedience to God. And as a result of that disobedience and sin, the wrath of God is coming. That there is a place prepared for those who forget God. A place prepared for the devil and his angels, who also, the angelic beings who rejected God, and people who have rejected God will exist in eternal torment in a place called hell. It's a real place. And that's the beginning of the good news with the bad news. That's a, just think about what kind of a claim that is. Christianity claims that the good news is that God sent his only begotten Son into the world to die a substitutionary death on the cross of Calvary so that every sinner who believes upon Him, repents of their sins, and puts their trust in Him can be saved. And it goes further than that. Because Christianity claims that if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, then you are a child of the living God and you are therefore consequently and radically changed. And that sin can be broken in your life. The one who was the lying, stealing, <laughs> swindling, adulterous, covetous, whatever us sin you might have, can be changed. That's the claim we make. And when we make that claim as Christians, here's what we're saying. You can look to me. I might be, I might not be a perfect example, but I'm, I'm an example of that. A Christian, listen to this, a Christian is a display 
of God's work of grace. It's a big boast. It's a big claim, isn't it? So we do make great claims as children of God, as Ezra made a great claim that's true. But do we display the grace of God to radically transform our hearts and our lives and our attitudes and our actions? Do we? That's why we need the principle of fasting and prayer. Number four, the principle of stewardship. Stewardship. Verses 24 to 30. In verses 24 to 30, he says, beginning in 24, Then I set apart twelve of the leading priests. He gives their names. He says in verse 25, That I weighed out to them the silver, the gold, and the vessels, the offering to the house of our God that the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel their present had offered. I weighed out into their hand. And he gives the very careful account of what he did. And he says in verse 28, And I said to them, You are holy to the Lord. And the vessels are holy. And the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. Guard them and keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of fathers' houses in Israel at Jerusalem. So here I see the principle of stewardship. A steward, someone who is entrusted with the responsibility of someone else's goods. I'm going to ask you a trick question. What do you actually own? I have heard many times in my life with these ears, people say this. I worked for everything that I have. It's mine. Well, technically, no. (laughs) Sure you did. You worked for it. But let me ask you a series of questions and let's just see. Let's just see. Were you in control of your birth? Did you choose to be born? Where to be born? Who to be born to? No, you didn't choose any of that. Well, I knew that. What about, did you choose how tall you would be? What color eyes you would have? Did you choose, um, well, let's just see, when you get up every day, is there a button you push or do you have some kind of a way that you actually make yourself uh, wake up? No. Do you tell your heart to beat or your lungs to breathe or your brain to think? Do you tell, do you have the self-contained power to do these things? No, you do not. So you may work and you may think and you may act and you may do all of those things. Your lungs breathe air, your mind thinks, but you are not decisively and ultimately in control of that. God is. So you actually did not, in and of yourself, work for everything that you get. No, you did not. Not without the gracious power of God. Whether you acknowledge it or not, this is true. And so the principle of stewardship is a great principle in God's word. Namely, that you and I have been entrusted with everything that we have. From our bodies to your possessions, your talents, your influence in life. Everything is God's. 
And he's entrusted it to you. (laughs) You know, there's something that happens when something like that is entrusted to someone. You know what it is? Later on in life, sometime, you have to give an account of that. Ezra understood, and just jot this down, in Numbers chapter 3 and verse 8, and also verse 31, Numbers 3, 8, and verse 31, and also Numbers chapter 4 and verse 5, he understood from these verses that it was clear that the priest had to handle the sacred objects and that the Levites had to carry them. Now, why do I point that out? Because a steward is not the owner, but someone who is given responsibility to properly handle what has been entrusted. And God actually gives us specifics. (laughs) Praise God. We don't have to have this kind of a mysterious, I don't know. I'm not sure what to do. No, he's given us his word. So that we know, Ezra knew, now the priests, they're the ones that must handle these sacred things. But in order to carry them, there's actually a law in God's word that says that the Levites are to be the ones to carry them. Isn't that interesting? And he was willing to be submissive and obedient to the commands of God. And I thought about this. You and I have been given, have been entrusted With everything. But specifically let me mention two things. Number one. The faith. With a capital F. Not faith like I believe. Or I have this trusting feeling in my heart. But the faith. Which is a body of doctrine. It is a body of teaching. That comes from the apostles. That we read about earlier. When Paul said. I am going to entrust this to you. So that you can entrust it to these men. So that these men can entrust it to these men. And these men are going to entrust it to these men. Until we get down to where you and and I are this morning. The faith. Has been entrusted to us. And it is important that we step up to this calling. Jude chapter 1 verse 3. Jude verse 3 says this. Listen to this verse. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. Listen to this. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend For the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. You and I have that responsibility as a church. We're not playing games. This is not a game. It's not a show. This is not a program. This is a church. This is a local assembly. This is a local outpost of the kingdom of Christ. And it has been entrusted to you and to me to earnestly, the King James says, earnestly contend for the faith. The faith, the body of doctrine of the teachings of the apostles contained in the New Testament. 
First Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Listen to what he says to Timothy. Paul. I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. And this is the, this is the phrase. Which is, so the household of God, the church, is, which is the church of the living God. And listen to this. The pillar and buttress of the truth. The pillar and buttress of the truth. If the church capitulates to the world, the truth is lost. You want to play church? If the church capitulates to the world's philosophy, which she has in many ways, what is at stake is the truth. The second thing, not only the faith, but the mission of our Lord Jesus Christ has been given to us to steward. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.2, 1 Corinthians 4.2, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Matthew 24, verses 45 and following. Who then, this is Jesus talking, Who then is the faithful and wise servant, or we could say steward, whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Jesus is coming back. And he will, he will, he will call us to account for our lives, for our possessions, for our bodies, for the truth, and for the mission of the church. He will hold each and every one of us accountable to him with what we have done, with what he has entrusted to us. And principle number five is the principle of gratitude and praise. Verses 31 to 36. Never forget how it all happened. The principle of gratitude and praise. He prayed a prayer. God answered that prayer. And he did not forget to give him praise. So often we do, I'm afraid. So often we ask for things and we seek God for things and we plead for things only to forget quickly <laughs> once we get what we wanted. Sometimes we don't mean to do it that way, but if we're honest, we do. And that's what I want to share and leave with you as this last principle. The principle of gratitude and praise. Never forget how it all happened. Verses 31 and 36. They came to the temple there and they offered their sacrifices to the Lord. Earlier in chapter 3 verse 11. It said that after they had built and laid the foundation of the house of the Lord, they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever and ever. 
And Paul in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 2.14. Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. Thanks be to God that everywhere we go, we are being led in triumphal procession. (laughs) Thanks be to God for all that we are and all that we will be in Christ. And I'll leave you with one final one. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. Listen to this. Colossians 3.17 And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And here it is. Giving thanks to God, the Father, through Him. Let me pray with you. Father, We want to thank you this morning for your word, infallible, inerrant, inspired, food for our souls, foundation for our feet. Revealing to us who you are and what you expect of us. Forgive us for our cold indifference to your word at times. And give us a heart that lives lives to enjoy your word. Because it's not just the words, but you that we will in fact enjoy. Lord, if there's one here today that hasn't bowed the knee of their heart, we pray for them, even now, that you will draw them and call them to repentance and faith. Grant them, O God, we pray, by your Spirit. Lord, we also pray for your church today that you would help us to see and remember and to live by the principles that we've learned today and the many, many more that are contained in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.